If you want, you can join me in the Bible that you have, whether it's a paper or digital, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as the majority of our verses will be in this chapter. This is a, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was, uh, it's been sectioned that way, chapter 15, uh, because the editors back a few hundred years ago realized this whole chapter talked about the resurrection. And it's a wonderful chapter that we have spoken and preached through uh, for a series of eight weeks prior to, or six weeks prior to Easter one year. It's a powerful chapter, and tonight we're talking about the resurrection of the body. Not necessarily the resurrection of Jesus, but we're talking about the resurrection of our bodies when that resurrection happens. We talked about in the Apostles' Creed that he died and rose again. On the third day, he rose again. That was his resurrection. But tonight we're talking about the promised resurrection that is in store for us. I want to read to get us started in this line of thinking of how we can live with sure and confident hope because of this resurrection that's coming for us. And look with me in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians verses 20 through 23. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's or belong to Christ at his coming. Living with sure and confident hope in this world. A lot of people ask, uh, people that I get to know outside of church, you know, the Bible is old, but is it relevant for today? I mean, is there really things in that book, are there things in that book that I can use to help me today? Because that was a long time ago, and we're much more advanced technologically and, and in many other ways. At least we think we are. But offering advice to people as they come to me as a pastor and offer advice, what does the Bible say about this? It can be tricky because it doesn't cover every specific that we go through in our lives. For example, it doesn't tell you which job you should or should not take. It doesn't tell you which neighborhood you should live in or which house or apartment you should rent. And so when we have these kinds of questions and we don't find help in the Bible, it's tempting for us to think, you know what, that Bible really doesn't have a lot to say about real life choices that are before me. The Bible helped people then, but it doesn't really help me now. And while it is true that not every question we have today is answered in the Bible, that's true. It is not true that the Bible is irrelevant for our lives spiritually, emotionally, and even practically. If anything, the Bible will help reshape our minds and help us to start asking the right questions. Many times we ask our questions to the Bible that aren't the right questions. For example, why am I here? Why did God give me life? What is my purpose in life? What is truly important? I know the things that I feel pressured by and stressed by, but what are the things in life that are truly important? And what do I do with the reality that one day I won't be able to escape death? It's a one-to-one -one ratio. 
Or better yet, or not better yet, but another question is this. How can I live with hope in a broken world that hurts everyone? How can I live in a world that causes pain for everyone? Today we're talking about the resurrection of the body. In this section, when you recite the creed from memory, because you're all memorizing it, right? When you recite the creed from memory, you'll be able to, at this point, the resurrection of the body... It's going to cause you and stir you to remember that you can have a sure and confident hope. Because when we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body, we are saying, listen, one day, these bodies will rise again in a form that will never taste sickness or death. And it's a lifetime guarantee. I had a lifetime guarantee on a roofing uh, project on a house when I lived back in Arkansas, and that's what sold it. It was about the same price as the ten-year guarantee. And I was like, you know, ten-year guarantee, lifetime guarantee. I'll go lifetime guarantee. Well, it was great. It was beautiful, nice flat roof, this rubberized material that was out there. I was like, this is awesome. Well, I found out about four years later that that company went out of business. So, how much is that lifetime guarantee worth? Zilch. That's right. But Jesus guarantees our resurrection it's not something that will ever be voided because he went out of business because jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection he has already done it and one day we will be like him so tonight we're going to see three reasons that we can live with sure and confident hope you're going to see that jesus is already risen you're going to see that christians will be raised and you're going to see that we will live knowing that the resurrection is guaranteed So we'll start with the first one. Jesus is risen. This is where it all gets started. Number one, if you want to take notes, you can write these down. Number one, Jesus is risen. So Christianity, which is, um, and specifically the creed, the Apostles' Creed is what we're looking at here, speak of the resurrection of Christ. It is built upon this belief. If you take away the resurrection of Christ, you void Christianity. It does not stand without the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. Look with me again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 22. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. Asleep here means those who have died. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So we're going to make this a really short point because we covered the resurrection of Christ a few weeks ago. But in order to to get the full benefit of the bodily resurrection, we need to understand, number one, Jesus is already risen. So one of the reasons we can live with hope and confidence in our bodily resurrection is, number one, Jesus is risen. It's elementary, my dear Watson. It's the foundation of our faith. Jesus is risen. Number two, Christians will be raised. Christians will be raised. One day, according to the Christian faith, we are going to be raised like Jesus was raised. When we see his resurrection body, we're getting a uh, premiere of what our resurrection body will look like. And here's what we know about his resurrection body, among other things. But here's some highlights. Number one, his resurrection body was physical. He actually ate and he drank and they were able to touch him. 
So it was a physical body. It wasn't a spiritual body floating on the clouds somewhere. It was physical. We, he was recognized by his earthly likeness. So he wasn't unrecognizable. So he came back in a form that was like himself. I know for some of us, we may think, you know, I, I don't really necessarily like the way I look. You know, I'd like to look a little better than that. Don't worry. You're going to be beautiful. And you need to realize you're already beautiful just the way you are. Just like uh, that guy says, you're beautiful just the way you are. What's his name? i got to think of it. Bruno Mars, thank you. The theological, theological uh, uh, scholar Bruno Mars is right. You're beautiful just the way you are. So we see that Jesus was recognized in his likeness, and he ate and he drank like normal. But he had differences as well. It wasn't just the same body. It was different. For example, he was able to show up in this room where the doors were locked, and he just showed up magically. It seemed like magic to them, so he, somehow he was able to, or to move in ways that we can't move. Another example was he was breaking bread with two people at a table, and after he broke the bread, they recognized, like, that's Jesus, and then he just disappeared. So somehow we're the same, but in other ways we're different. We see that he was healed from his crucifixion. His crucifixion had major, major damage to his physical body. And best we can tell, he had scars in his hands and his side that were left for some reason. Probably as evidence so that we would know that this is the Jesus. But we see also through Jesus that we're going to get a new body. A new body that will never get sick. A new body that will never die. That's exciting. We won't be afraid to fly on airplanes anymore. Maybe we won't need them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, it speaks of this bodily resurrection. It says, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, he's the one who's gone before us. After that, those who are Christ, those who belong to Christ. Christian is what belongs to Christ means at his coming. We will be raised like him. We can live with sure and confident hope because Christians are guaranteed to be raised with Jesus on the last day. That's great news. Now we'll go to number three. Live knowing resurrection is guaranteed. So Jesus is risen, Christians will be raised, and now we understand those things. We are to live knowing. Can you say that word, knowing? Knowing that the resurrection is guaranteed. Not if, not maybe, not, well, I hope to be raised in a weak form, but I hope, I confidently, I certainly expect one day there will be a resurrection for this body. That is what the Christian doctrine teaches us. It's going to happen. It's not an if. There is a when. We don't know when, but it is going to happen. Have you ever played a trick on someone, like a card trick? I have a couple of card tricks I can do, and I used to have a lot of fun with this because there's power in duping people. Um, <laughs> it's okay to laugh. It's a card trick. It's nothing big. So it, it was a card trick, and I would, I would slap the card, and it looked like I would slap the card through the table, and every time I would pull out the card, and the other people would be like, whoa, how did you do that? Because I manipulated them. I tricked them. But there was no doubt in my heart. I knew I was in control. I knew I was going to have that card. I was confident. I was sure. They didn't know. 
But I believed and I trusted that I knew how to do that trick. I knew how to keep things under control. The other person on the other side of the trick, they think their choices matter. They think they can affect the outcome of the trick. But everything, I was controlling the variables and their choice was only an illusion. The results were guaranteed no matter what they did. You know exactly what I'm talking about because that's exactly like our presidential primaries. No, that's, thank you. There's a few people out there that appreciate that. In a redemptive way, Jesus has stacked the deck in our favor. He knows all the variables. He knows everything that's going to happen from right now in this church until the day you die. And if your faith is in Christ, there is nothing that will take away the guarantee that one day he will resurrect your body. There is power in that. He has considered all the possibilities. He knows every choice that you have to make from here until then, and he knows that the guarantee is going to remain. He has conquered all the enemies. He has set a time and a date for this resurrection to happen. We don't know when that time is because he is waiting for the perfect time to reveal himself in all of his glory and redeem the world and then resurrect these broken bodies. At the end of the chapter on the resurrection, he goes through, you should read this entire chapter, this is amazing, but at the end of the chapter, he goes through the resurrection, it's really powerful, and the very last verse is this, in chapter 15, verse 58. He says, therefore, because of all of these things that we, we know about the resurrection, not that we think, but all of these things that we know, he says, therefore, because of all these things, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And there's that word again, knowing. Can you say knowing? Knowing, knowing that your toil, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's hard being a Christian in the world, whether in New York or Texas or across the world or wherever. It is not easy being a Christian. In some way, shape, or form, the enemy is trying to get you out of believing in the gospel. He's trying to distract you. But the priorities of our lives are going to change. What we find important will change when this belief is central to our hearts. When we believe in the resurrection of our bodies, our priorities are going to change. We will no longer fall into the category of, I got ten things I need to do before I die. Right? I just saw an article for that a couple of days ago, and I clicked on it, and I was convicted. I was like, man, I believe in the resurrection. I'm preaching on that this week. You know, so that there's this expectancy that the world puts on us that you need to do this before you die because this is all you got. But that's not the Christian doctrine. Paul here is talking about labor. He's like, guys, you got a lot of work to do. But don't worry. There's something much greater than three nights in Antigua. Than a week in St. John when St. John is lovely. There is a resurrection coming. So while you have a chance, there needs to be this urgency among you. Redeem this time. Do what you can because your labor, your toil is not going to be in vain. We know that this perishable life, there's an expiration on the body, my body, the way it is right now. The rest of my days will be best spent doing the kind of work that leads people to know Jesus. 
and to lead us to become more like Him. And we are to do everything for the glory of the Lord. It changes the way we work. It changes the way we live. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just flip over a couple of chapters, verse 31, Paul winds that up and he says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He says the same thing in the book of the letter of Colossians. Do everything for the glory of the Lord. It changes. Why? Because he's given me a promised resurrection. He's given me everything. There's so much value in this. The world stinks compared to the beauty of what God is giving us. Next week we're going to talk about life everlasting in heaven. And I'm excited to share that. It changes the way we work, it changes the way we live, and it also changes the way we grieve. The way we express grief in our lives when we lose someone. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul is writing there. there these are people that had um, experienced the, the, and heard the resurrection, and they were saying, Paul, this is wonderful news for us, but what about the ones who are already dead? What about the ones who had, had died previously before the resurrection happened and Paul is comforting them and he says but we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant brethren about those who have already died those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope he goes on to express he says those who have already fallen asleep in the Lord when Jesus returns they're going to be resurrected from the dead first And then you, who are still alive, at the return of the Lord, you're going to be transformed. And you're going to welcome in the Lord and usher Him in as He redeems the world and does His new creation. So He explains it. It's hope for you, who are still alive, and it's hope for those who have already passed away. So grieve, yes, but don't grieve without hope. Because there is a resurrection coming. So he explains that, the resurrection hope for the dead and the alive. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, he sums it up and he says, Therefore, take this hope, this resurrection hope, and comfort one another with these words. This is what we do as a church. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We are a church that we commune with one another. We share. We share in our griefs and our, our, um, our joys. You know, the highs and the lows. We, we share in those things and we comfort one another. Well, this resurrection hope is something that we have to keep reminding ourselves of. Yes, I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to grieve with you. But I will not lose hope, and I will not let you lose hope either. Because there is hope. We can live with sure and confident hope because the resurrection is a guarantee backed up by God himself. Jesus lived with a sure and confident hope in his life and because he did that he gives us the power to do the same John chapter 2 is famous for the miracle at Cana the wedding miracle where Jesus turned water into wine but right after that is also a powerful story where we see him overturning the tables in the temple because they had been abused by the people and they weren't being used as God wished and the people come up to Jesus after he does this and is like, get out of my father's house. to be a house of prayer. And they come up to him in verse 18. And the Jews said to Jesus, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Like, who do you think you are? What are you going to show us, big guy? Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered them. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
Now, he was in the physical temple, right? The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple. And you, you're going to raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Jesus knew that the resurrection was coming for him. He knew it was coming. That motivated him to finish the course of his life. Because Jesus believed in the resurrection of his body, he courageously went to the cross and died for the sins of the world and for your sins and mine. He lived perfectly so that you and I could be made perfect and whole and forgiven and holy in the eyes of God. He lived with a sure, confident hope. This is going to be tough, but I know in three days I will be raised again. His expectation was clear. The Father was going to breathe life into the lifeless body of Jesus. So is the Bible irrelevant for today? Absolutely not. Every person in this world is going to die. You will either face death or be one of the ones that are alive at Christ's return. The Bible tells us the only way we can have victory over this enemy that all humanity face, this common enemy of sin and death, the only victory we have is through faith in Christ. Death is humiliating. It steals our glory. It removes the splendor that God has given us. Life goes away and the body is changed. I was in the room when my good friend Sean Howell died. He's our brother. He's the first charter member of Connection Church. And his body stopped working. And he was gone, even though he was right there with us. And I cried. His wife, Blake, cried. Her sister and her mother cried. His brother arrived shortly after, and he cried with us. All of you, when you heard the news and knew Sean, cried. And sometimes, when we think about him, we cry again. It's hard when you lose someone you love. It's been a year and a half since he died. But the Lord tells us that Sean's life is not over. The Lord tells us that one day, like all those who have died in Christ, he will be raised again in glorious splendor. 
He will radiate the glory of the Lord. And we will be together with him and all of our loved ones in heaven with our new bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. And forever we're going to shout the praises of God while we live in the full presence of God as originally created in the Garden of Eden. That is a glorious promise. When our eyes, when our focus, when our hearts are inclined and are looking to the promises of God and we look to the power of Jesus to fulfill those promises, then we start to live with sure and confident hope. We're no longer weak. We're no longer defeated. We no longer desire to give up because we realize there is hope and I know I can believe in it because the resurrection guarantees it. I have everything to live for when I have faith in Christ. And you're going to be challenged on this. Maybe before you got here, I used to get in some of the biggest spiritual battles as soon as I would leave church. Maybe when you leave here, you're going to have spiritual battles and warfare happening. You're going to go home and you're just going to have a bad moment or evening. You're going to be challenged whether or not you believe what the gospel states is true in the creed or whether you're going to believe your feelings. Are you going to trust how you feel inside that I don't really know if or are you going to trust faith in Jesus? But with faith in Jesus, you can always have hope, a true hope, a sure hope, a confident hope. And when you say these words in the creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body, it speaks power in your life. I believe in the resurrection of the body. One day, though I die, I will live again. Jesus died and rose again, and so will I. The resurrection of the body will happen. It will happen. It is promised. It is secured. It is guaranteed. My charge to all of us is to focus your faith in Jesus and then choose to live with sure and confident hope. He's done it all for you. So just rest in what your Savior has done for you. Let's close with prayer. Father, thank you so much for giving us hope tonight. Jesus, we worship you, we praise you, we thank you that in your darkest moments of despair and doubt, you chose faith, you chose to to continue along the path because you had a sure and a confident hope that your Father was going to breathe life into your bones, into your lifeless body. You would come back to life. We praise you, we love you. And we ask that you would do the same for us, that in our moments of darkness and despair, you would breathe hope and life into us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.